Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Thank you for being here with us on Ash Wednesday. Would you please pray with me? Father, I do ask now as we come to your word that the words of my mouth this afternoon, that the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Father, give us, grant to us true, lasting, and real repentance by your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. My brother's younger name is Joel, and so you can imagine every time there's a reading from the book of Joel from the Old Testament, it's hard for me not to think about him, my younger brother. When we were little, we used to room together, and uh, as little boys do often, we had tons of stuffed animals, and I don't know if it was growing up in Kansas where you could see a big thunderstorm growing off on the horizon, getting black and ominous as it approached you, or living through the summer in Kansas where you'd hear tornado sirens once, if not multiple times during the summer, but we started playing this game with our stuffed animals. We'd get them, we'd scatter them all over the room, and then we'd look at each other and say, well, brother, it's time to get the animals in. And then we'd we'd get off our bed and pick them all up and bring them onto the bed, which was our, our barn, as if we were preparing the livestock for a giant thunderstorm that was about to hit. I thought about that and me and my brother reading this passage from Joel because it's a warning passage. Blow the trumpet. Sound an alarm. A storm is coming. Joel says a day of dark darkness, a day of darkness and gloom, black clouds and thick darkness. 
Scholars debate whether or not Joel here is speaking in verse 2 about and 3 about the Babylonian army that is going to come and sack Jerusalem soon or whether he's talking about this cloud of locusts that God sent as a judgment over Israel that he was talking about in chapter 1. But either way, he's looking off in the distance and on the horizon he sees a dark storm rising. And the church calendar today, Ash Wednesday, is the alarm going off. Today is the trumpet blast to see the storm on the horizon, to know that it's time to bring the animals in, to take stock of your life, to take a look at your soul. Because Ash Wednesday reminds us that judgment is inescapable. You can't outrun it. It's a sober and serious thought. But today, Ash Wednesday is a day for heavy and serious thoughts. A judgment is inescapable. We know this. You know, our lives are full of smaller and similar, smaller storms of judgment, evaluations and tests. We all know what that is like. If you were ever a student, you know that. But we also know that bridges are built and then they are judged when a fully loaded semi drives across it. We know that our foreign policy is tested when war breaks out internationally. You know that your faith is evaluated when you fall sick or when you enter persecution. In smaller storms, these all point us to a final judgment. And we know this because we all fear, don't we, being caught, being found out. We all know there's judgment. But mostly, often, what we like to do is put it off. Well, that last small storm I went through wasn't so bad. I kind of got away with it and got through it. Maybe I won't have to, in the end, face myself. And maybe I will escape judgment. Often what we like to do is slow down the way that we have been going instead of doing what Joel tells us to do, which is repent, turn around, and go in the other direction towards God. But today, Ash Wednesday says, no. No more ignoring sin. No more pretending we won't die. No more imagining life or how we live or sin, that it doesn't matter. It's time to get the animals in. Listen to the urgency that Joel speaks of here in verse 15 of chapter 2. He says, blow the trumpet. Get everyone in here, whoever you are, the whole assembly. Consecrate the congregation, the oldest to the youngest. Bring them all here, even the nursing infants. In other words, don't get a babysitter. Just bring that nursing infant with you. Just get here. Even the bride and groom on their wedding day, in their room and in their chamber, Cancel Cancun. Let the caterers go. Forget the assembly. Forget the ceremony. This now is the urgent thing. Paul has the same urgency in our New Testament reading from 2 Corinthians. We implore you, he says. You cannot implore someone casually, right? Imploring someone is not putting a sticky note on the mirror, right? If you are imploring someone, you are grabbing them, you're shaking them, you're begging them, you are desperate. Verse 6, Paul goes on, he says, we are appealing to you. And then he says, behold, right? Behold is pay attention. Look, look, this is the favorable time. Now, right now is a day of salvation. It is urgent, he says. Do not miss it. Listen, we don't know the hour of the world. What's happening in Ukraine and Israel, the South China Sea, it can all spin away in a moment. 
but we also do not know the hour of your own life. Last week, I spent an afternoon with a man in our congregation who's dying from cancer. It's probably a month, maybe two to live. He cannot ignore the urgency in his life because the end for him is very near. But in reality, in relation to eternity, all our ends are near. And I and you, we do not know what awaits us in the next hour, the next week, or the next year. But right now, today, here in this place, we have a favorable time. Now we can be reconciled with the God of the universe now. And the urgency of this moment is a time to repent, to turn to God and be changed. Now I know this feels heavy. And it should be. It's a time for feeling heavy. But I don't want you to miss this. Repentance is turning from disaster to life, to freedom and to joy. It isn't out of the frying pan and into the fire. It isn't even a day really of escape. What Paul calls it is a day of salvation. Repentance is freedom from hiding, freedom from guilt and shame. It's turning to a God who, as Joel says here in verse 13, is what is he? He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He is a God who relents over disaster. In other words, God takes no pleasure in the storm of judgment when it falls. You know, we sometimes delight, don't we, when other people fall into judgment. Schadenfreude is what it's called in German, taking delight in other people's misery. We delight in that, but God doesn't. He is just, and he will bring justice, which is what makes him good, but he is not willing that any should perish, which is also what makes him good. In fact, God provides a way through the judgment. That's what our New Testament passage talks about here. Chapter 5, verse 21, maybe one of the greatest verses in all of the scriptures, certainly in the New Testament, for our sake, for your sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, Christ let the storm of judgment fall completely upon him. He became our sin. He received our final judgment upon the cross so that when the inescapable judgment arrives for us, we can be sheltered underneath the righteousness of Christ and pass through the storm reconciled with God. Judged as if we were Jesus because he was judged as if he was us. That is God's grace to you. And Paul says, don't receive that grace in vain. He says, don't make it like a gift that's unopened, that you never opened, that you shoved in the closet and that you left it there forgetting it. Get it out, Paul says. Open it up. Repentance, what we are about to engage in during the season of Lent, is living into the reality and embracing what Christ has done for you upon the cross. And repentance is the only soil in which a regenerated soul can actually grow. So how do we do that? Well, if you don't know Christ, this morning, then entrust yourself to him today. Embrace him as your Lord and Savior. And if you do, then in a moment, what we are going to do is begin a season of fasting and repentance. We're going to put ashes on our head to remind ourselves of our sin, of our need for repentance, and of our mortality. But remember that these passages remind us that an external reminder, like just ashes on our forehead, 
isn't enough. This must go down into our heart. Joel here in verse 13 says, rend your hearts and not your garments, not just externally, but down into the center of who you are. That's what your heart is, where only you know what your thoughts are and only God knows what you are. Where it says you and God, you must become ripped up and broken over your sin on the inside, not for others. As Jesus says here in Matthew six, if you do it for others, then you'll receive a reward as soon as others see that you are doing it, but rather in secret where no one else is around, where no one else can see before God himself alone. That's the real response. That's when the center of who you are turns to God. So let me be practical. First, evaluate the center. Evaluate your heart. Is Jesus Lord or lip service to you? Is he beautiful to you or duty? Do your thoughts center on envy or lust, anger, greed, or yourself? And be honest with yourself. And then be honest with others. Confess your sin to someone, your spouse, a friend, a pastor. Let what is on the inside now come out through your words to the outside so that you can no longer ignore it and push it away. We understand what this process is actually in physical therapy. When your body is hurt and it needs healing and you go to physical therapy, it's painful, but you know that, that pain is actually the process of healing. Confession is a physical therapy of the soul. Then after you've done that, do these two things in the season of Lent. Put something off and put something on, very simply. Put off something that's good, like a meal or TV or the social media or a podcast or a good activity that you love doing, playing pickleball or whatever it might be. Put it off so that you can put on something else in its place. Pray during those lunches that you have put off. Sing songs to God in the car instead of listening to your podcast. Read your Bible instead of scrolling social media. Do something charitable towards those that you envy. Stop and talk with the person that you would normally pass by. And let the center of who you are center upon Christ. And then finally, come here. Here on Sundays, our midweek Eucharist services on Wednesdays at noon. And come so that you might receive communion, that you might be assured that as you repent, as Joel 14 speaks of here, it's a fascinating verse. He says, almost a question. If we come, if we turn to God, is he going to actually allow us to repent? Is he going to leave a blessing behind, a grain offering and a drink offering, a grain offering and a drink offering, bread and wine. In other words, when we come and receive communion, we are reminded and assured that yes, as we repent, as we turn to Jesus, we do receive forgiveness and grace and restoration. That we receive Jesus himself as we come begging to him in repentance. So what we are about to do, so I'm going to pray now and invite us into a holy Lent. Father, we do ask that you would, by your spirit, work in us true, real repentance and change. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our Savior and Lord. Amen.